Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Paul. You may be seated. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians in a Bible that you may have brought, whether it be a physical Bible or one on your phone, or to use the Pew Bibles if you wish. We're going to be kind of walking through those verses together, and it'd be helpful to have them in front of you. Uh, Daniel can try to put them on the screen for us, but sometimes it's nice to see them in the context of the whole verse. So I encourage you to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you. Come, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a federal crime that carries with it a five-year prison sentence to open and read somebody's mail. Thankfully for Paul this morning, uh, that does not apply to biblical letters. But the reason that it's a federal crime to open people's mail is because mail is intensely personal. There are things in mail that we don't want others to read. We like when we get our mail for it to be sealed so we can open it and know that we are the first ones to have read it. It's written for a specific person. Now, similarly, 1 Corinthians is written to a specific people uh, for a specific purpose at a specific time and place. And for us this morning, we get to read 1 Corinthians and kind of peer into this conversation that is taking place between the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth. Now, this is not the beginning of the conversation between Paul and the church in Corinth, nor is it the end of the conversation between Paul and the church in Corinth. There had been previous letters, much of which most likely are completely lost. Uh, some think that perhaps part of 2 Corinthians is a part of one of those letters. 
but we know that there is previous communication, uh, previous letters between Paul and these people in Corinth. Uh, in fact, in 1 Corinthians itself, we, we get to hear about these letters. In, in chapter 1, uh, verse 11, Paul says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. So Paul has received some sort of report from whoever Chloe is and her people that, that there's something going on uh, in Corinth that he needs to address. There's something similar comes to him in chapter 5 uh, of 1 Corinthians, and then as well in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, Concerning the matters about which you wrote. Paul is alluding to uh, a letter that he previously received from the people in Corinth. We can only speculate uh, exactly what was in this letter, uh, but we know from what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians that there are several issues going on in Corinth that, that Paul needs to address. Uh, some of those issues is these factions that have formed around who baptized them. Uh, some were, were bragging they were baptized by Paul. Others, they were baptized by Apollos. Uh, and Paul is, is writing to put a stop to that, to say Christ is the one who is baptizing us all. And we are all united in him. So these factions is one of the things Paul is writing about. Another one is sexual immorality that's going on even within the church community that Paul is addressing. Then later in the letter, the misuse of the Lord's Supper. As we celebrate communion here in a little bit, Paul has, has addressed this, this concept of the Lord's Supper and one of the things that's important in our liturgy when we say Christ our Lord invites to his table is we're not excluding anyone from our table. And it seems that the people in Corinth were making it hard for people to come to the table. But another one of those things on this list that the people in Corinth were apparently doing poorly uh, is spiritual gifts. Apparently, they did not really know what they were talking about. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, where Paul begins this conversation, of address, this conversation uh, addressing spiritual gifts. Now, we're only going to look at 11 verses of what is really two or three full chapters about this uh, topic. But this is the beginning of that conversation. We're going to do it in three chunks. So if you're looking at the scripture, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to start, then 4, 5, and 6, and then 7 through 11. So starting, starting with verse 1, looking at this first chunk of, of 1 through 3, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, and he makes it clear in the way he's writing this that he's now, now, now jumping to another topic. It's almost as if, He's got their letter in front of him, and he's like, okay, check, I covered that, I covered that. Now we're going to move on to spiritual gifts. The word used, translated as spiritual gifts here, is a little bit misleading. Because the word gift actually does not appear in the Greek. The word spiritual does. But it's an adjective, 
And so in English, we can't just leave it on its own. We have to, to put something else with it. Uh, perhaps a closer translation from the original Greek would just say, now concerning spiritual things. But it doesn't actually say gifts, uh, which is interesting. When we, when we put the word gifts there, it's almost like we are uh, labeling things and, and putting them uh, in a compartment and saying, this is exactly what it is. But it seems like Paul is addressing uh, spiritual things on a more general level. About the spiritual things that you are experiencing in your midst. And then he goes on to say, I do not want you to be uninformed. The NIV uses the word ignorant, which I kind of like. I do not want you to be ignorant about these things. And apparently, the people in Corinth were, were ignorant, or at least uninformed, about these, whatever these spiritual things were that were going on in their midst. Then we get verse 2 where, and 3, where Paul makes it clear that this is not the, the first time that the, the Christians in Corinth are experiencing these spiritual things. That even before they were Christians, they had some sort of understanding of spiritual happenings in their midst. Paul says, you know that when you were pagans, before you were Christians, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand. So, so Paul is saying, you have been led astray by spiritual things before. And so I'm going to give you a way to discern whether or not these spiritual happenings are from the Spirit of God or something else entirely. He wants them to know how can we judge what this is that's happening in our midst. And so Paul says that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. On the other hand, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul uses these two extremes to make his point that the content about what is being said matters. It appears that in Corinth, there were people that would go into these sort of like spiritual trances and then say things and try to lead people in different directions. And Paul wants them to know that just because someone is participating in some sort of utterance, spiritual utterance, that does not mean this is coming from God. And here's how you can discern that, the content of their message. If they're saying Jesus is Lord, then amen. But if they are saying let Jesus be cursed, then this is not from the Spirit of God. So do not be led astray. And then we come to, to verses 4 through 6. Uh, which is a really, uh, is a, a really uh, cool uh, rhetorical tool that Paul uses here. And it, it translate really, translates really nicely into English for us, unlike some rhetorical things that the New Testament writers used. Paul uses three parallel lines or, or phrases that interact with each other. You'll notice the, the repetition here. So starting in, at the beginning of verse 4, 
Paul says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. So three times Paul is saying there are a variety of blank, but the same blank. And so those different things is the same or variety of gifts, variety of services, uh, variety of, of activities, but one spirit, one Lord, one God. The Corinthians noticed the first part of each of these verses. They noticed among themselves the differences, that there were different types of gifts, different types of services or activities. But they failed to notice that it was the same spirit working in their midst within the church community. You see, they were taking some of these spiritual gifts and elevating them over other ones. And so when they were doing that, then spiritual gifts became a reason for divisions. And Paul's saying that should not be so. And so by using this repetition, Paul is emphasizing the sameness. That no matter what spiritual gift you are seeing in your neighbor within your church, it's the same spirit. Whatever type of service they're engaged in, it's the same Lord they are serving. Whatever activity they are, are doing for the glory of God, it's the same God that is working in them. Now, the formal uh, doctrine of the Trinity was not articulated until later. But this is one of the verses that that comes from, that we see it most clearly. Because Paul not only uses these three different phrases to emphasize the sameness of God working in them, but he talks about the Spirit. He talks about the Lord, who he has already clarified up in verse 3, Jesus is Lord. And then he says it's the same God at work. He talks about the, the God that they served as, as three in one. And this being the same one who is equipping all the people in the church for these different types of gifts, services, or activities. But Paul's main point here in these verses is that there's just one God. There is one spirit. There is one Lord being served in a variety of ways. Paul then is going to move into a section where he has a list of different types of things, these different gifts, services, and activities. But this last section we're going to look at, verses 7 through 11, he, he, he puts a bracket around it. He, he wants to say something at the beginning, and he wants to make sure that they hear it again at the end. In verse 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To everyone is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Then he gives them the purpose statement. There's a reason why you've been given these manifestations of the Spirit. 
And that reason is the common good. Essentially, he's saying, you have not been given these gifts for yourselves, but for the good of the whole community. And then in verse 11, he says that all of these uh, work, all all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he activates them to each one just as he chooses. And so he again emphasizes that it's the spirit giving each of these gifts. And then, then he gets to his list. Here are the, the nine things that he specifically lists in, in this uh, list of spiritual gifts. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And Paul is saying, he links all of these with the Spirit. Notice he says, to one there is given through the, through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. So even when he gets into his list, he's emphasizing the sameness, that there is one Spirit giving all of these things. Now any conversation about spiritual gifts has to look at more than one scripture. Because if this is all we had, we would think, well, there are nine spiritual gifts. Paul says everyone's given a gift, and so one of these gifts is my gift. And if that were the case, then I would encourage each of you now look at this list and try to determine what gift you've been given. I'm not going to do that. In your bulletin, there's another printout, uh, one that says at the top, discerning our spiritual gifts. Uh, I invite you to turn to that and take a look at it. Uh, This is from a ministry called the Inspire Movement, uh, and they focus a lot on small group uh, ministries. But one of the things they have is a a spiritual gifting uh, assessment. Uh, And so this this is kind of adapted from, from what they have. It's a compilation of uh, five different scriptures that you see at the top of that page. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians, some of the verses we're looking at this morning. Also Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and Hebrews chapter 2. In each of those scriptures, there's some sort of list of spiritual gifts. And so what people have done is compile all of these lists. There's a lot of crossover, but they're, they're not exact. And so uh, what we have here is kind of an explanation of all of these gifts that we find throughout the New Testament. Uh, I give that to you if, if you'd like to, to take that home and, and look at that more. Uh, I encourage you to look up those, those five scriptures and just see what you notice about them. But as I was reflecting on these spiritual gifts this week in 1 Corinthians 12, as well as these other scriptures about spiritual gifts, I began to wonder... Is this everything? If we compile all the lists from these five different places, do we then have an exhaustive list of the ways the Spirit uh, equips people for ministry? And I wondered about that. And thankfully, there are a lot of people a lot smarter than me that write a lot of books about these types of things. So I did some research. And there seems to be a lot of agreement that this list is just ways in which Paul was saying the Spirit is working in and amongst this 
these churches he was writing to. And so specifically when he writes to Corinth, he's writing about things that they've seen, manifestations of the Spirit they've seen in their midst. When he writes to the church in Rome, he writes about manifestations of the Spirit they've seen in the church in their midst. But nowhere does Paul say, here's your list, this is everything. Try to find whatever gift you have and go and use it. In the 60s and 70s, there was kind of a... A movement to rediscover these spiritual gifts. And a lot of good came out of that. But one of the things that was a little strange that came out of it was all these assessments that we take and then it's, it's supposed to tell us what your spiritual gift is. It's kind of like uh, a, a religious Myers-Briggs where you take a test and then it tells you, well, this is what you are. The problem with that, though, is it, it, it puts us in a box uh, and it, puts, it attempts to put the Spirit of God in a box to say, this is how the Spirit moves, and so I need to figure out how He's moving in me. Now, I want to encourage us to look at this a different way. Instead of trying to figure out what gift we have and then figure out how we're going to go use it, I wonder if we would be better off thinking about how does the Spirit want to use us? How does the Spirit want to use me? And then say, God, give me that spiritual gift. Equip me to do what you are calling me to do. Over and over throughout Scripture, God calls people to do things they don't feel equipped to do. They're not first given a tool and then said, okay, go and use that. They're called to go and do something, and then when they step out in faith and go do it, they find they've been equipped. And so my fear is, if we wait and say, okay, God, give me a gift, and then I'll go use it, then we find ourselves sitting on the sidelines forever. Instead, perhaps we should be praying, God, show me where you want to use me, and then trust him to equip us to do that work. So the question that I want us to ponder this week is not what gift in this list I think I already have. But I want to encourage you to be asking the question, what is God leading me to do? What needs around me do I see? What needs within this church community at Georgetown First? Or what needs do we see at a workplace or in Scott County? Or for some of us in Guatemala or the youth going to West Virginia? What needs do we see? And then pray as you step out in faith that you will be equipped to do that work. I'll close you with one more thing. The word that is translated for us throughout this section and, and, and really the whole New Testament as grace is also the same word that's translated as gift. So when we read this and we see in verse 4 when Paul says, there are a variety of kinds of gifts, it really could also be translated kinds of graces. And so when we talk about spiritual gifts, 
what we're really talking about is spiritual graces. The way God's grace pours itself out in our lives. Uh, as we come to the table in a few moments to celebrate Holy Communion, we do so acknowledging that for 2,000 years, the church has said this act is a means of grace. A means by which God pours out his grace into our lives. And we believe as we come to the table that we receive grace or we receive a gift from God. And so it's my prayer that as we come and celebrate communion together, that as we go out from this place, we are being equipped even in this moment, that we are receiving that grace from God, that gift from God in our lives. We are going to sing a song in just a moment before communion. Your bulletin is misprinted. Uh, Mary Ann sang for us in the first service, and she has completely lost her voice, bless her heart. So we're going to sing a hymn together instead. Uh, but I want you to be thinking about that one question. What is the Spirit urging you to go do? Whether or not you feel equipped for it now or not. What is the Spirit urging us to do? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this letter to the Corinthians. We thank you for the way Paul addresses the issues going on in their church. And God, we thank you for the ways it addresses issues that go on here in our midst as well. God, as we come to a time of Holy Communion, we pray that you will pour out your grace on us that we will receive your grace, we will receive your free gift. And because of that, we will be equipped to do your will in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I invite you to turn in your hymnals uh, to page number one, hymn number 160. We don't... 620. 620. Hymn number 620. We don't use the hymnals very often because words are normally on the screen, but this is a last-minute change. So in your hymnals, it's hymn number 620, and we're going to sing together, One Bread, One Body.
And so as Paul concludes his letter, he writes about another thing that he knows is unifying to the church. In 1 Corinthians 15, he writes about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the entire letter is leading up to this climax, that Jesus is Lord, that he has risen from the dead. And so in this Easter season, as we focus on the resurrection of Jesus, it's a joy to come to the table and know that we are celebrating the resurrected Lord of Jesus. And on that night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread. He gave thanks for it and blessed it. And he, gave, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks for it and blessed it. And he gave it to them and said, Take, drink, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we come here together to celebrate this one bread and this one body that we are all a part of. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for all of your mighty acts throughout time, throughout the Old Testament and New and throughout church history that have revealed your glory to us. And Lord, we thank you specifically for your son, Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection. We thank you for the mystery of our faith that Jesus died, that he rose again, and that he will come again. We pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of cup and bread. May they be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And may we be one in mission to all the world. Amen. I invite those who are assisting and serving to join me. I remind you, this is the Lord's table. It is not our table. All are welcome. If you need assistance, please let one of the ushers know. We will bring the communion elements to you. Uh, we partake by intinction, which means uh, we tear off a piece of the bread and dip it into the juice. 
Uh, and there's also a gluten-free option down here and dedicated cups at the, at the chalice. And I invite you, if you feel led, to leave a gift at the kneeling rail uh, that will go to support our, our um, fund that takes care of community needs.